All right, time for the kids to come up. And as you come up, you can start making your way up, find a seat. As you come, uh, Faith and Becca, if you would help, they're going to hand out some candy canes because I have some left over. But those are only for the girls, okay? So girls, as you come up, you can get a candy cane and then find a seat. Boys, you can just find a seat. All right? And so boys have a seat. Girls, once you have a candy cane, you can sit down as well, all right? All right, come on up, have a seat. Girls, if you don't have a candy cane yet, you can raise your hand and they'll try to get you on. All right, come on over, scoot on over, guys. Come close, come close. All right, good. All right, so uh, the candy canes this morning were only for the girls, right? Now I want you to imagine something with me, okay? Let's pretend for a bit. Let's imagine that for as long as you've known, as long as you're aware, that candy canes have always been only for girls, all right? So your moms have had candy canes, your grandmas have had candy canes, but your dads haven't had them, your grandpas haven't had them, no boys have ever had candy canes, they're just for girls, all right? But what if that was true? What if I then said, we're going to change things up a bit, and now candy canes are going to be for boys as well. So would you hand out candy canes to all the boys? Too? So boys, raise your hand. Okay? So this is going to be a brand new thing that you've never experienced before. Candy canes are now for boys as well. All right? So let's grab some candy canes. Here, if you have a few extra, I can take some up front. I hope I have enough left for everybody. We've got a lot of, lot of, you, a lot of people here today. That's good. Glad to see you all. All right. I may have just enough. Oh, boy. Oh, good. There's another box. That was close. All right. So here we go. So candy canes have always been for girls, right? But now we're doing something really new, and boys get candy canes as well. All right? Now, if you're a boy, what are you thinking? Awesome, right? That's pretty cool. We get candy canes now, too. If you're a girl, what might you be thinking? If you're a girl, you might be thinking, what? That's not right. Boys can't have candy canes. Candy canes are only supposed to be for girls. What's up with the boys getting them now, right? You might need to be convinced that it's okay for boys to have candy canes too, right? All right. Now, that's all kind of silly, right? But it's it's similar to what we will see today. It's similar to salvation, okay? Salvation. So, for a long time, salvation was thought to be only for one group of people, and that was the Jewish people, the Jewish nation in the Old Testament, right? So for a long time, salvation was thought to be only for the Jewish people. But God wanted to show that it was for all people, okay? Salvation is available to all people, including what we call the Gentiles or the people who are not Jewish, okay? And so that was hard for the Jewish people to understand, kind of like it's hard for girls to understand why boys should be getting candy canes, right? It was hard for the Jewish people to understand. So God had to show them that salvation was for all types of people. So God wants all different types of people to be able to come to him in faith, right? God wants Jews to come to him in faith and Gentiles. He wants boys and he wants girls. He wants tall people and short people, right? God wants people who live in the United States and people who live in Asia and people who live in Africa, all types of people to come to him in faith. 
And so today, and even Minnesota, that's right. <laughs> even Minnesota people can be saved. It might be a little harder, but they, they can as well, right? All right. Good, good. So today, we're going to see in the book of Acts, uh, we're going to hear about a vision that God gave to Peter to teach him that salvation through faith was open to all types of people. And then, once Peter uh, learned this, once he learned that from God, he immediately had an opportunity to share the gospel with Gentile people or non-Jewish people. And many of those Gentile people came to faith in Christ. And so the Jewish Christians then saw what had happened, and they were convinced that salvation was for all types of people to come to faith in Christ, even the Gentiles who, were, did not, who they thought it was not for before. And so salvation now is open to available for all people. And that's still true today. So as you talk with people, you can tell them about Jesus, right? And you can share the gospel, the message of Jesus' death and resurrection with all people in hopes that some would come to faith in Christ. All right? So Pastor Jeremy's going to come and preach now so you can take your candy cane back, eat it when mom and dad say it's okay, and enjoy it. All of you get to enjoy it, not just the girls. If you have your Bible, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 32, and we'll be in Acts chapter 9, verse 32, through 1118. I'm not going to read that all. We'll actually just be reading Acts 11, 1 to 18, but we're taking the entire section, event of the Gentiles coming to faith. <clears throat> um, I was thinking about how to introduce this, because this text is one of those in Scripture that is one of the most important events that happened in human history. We have creation. Uh, we have maybe the calling of Abraham, the exodus, the establishment of David as the king, the coming and living and dying and resurrecting of Jesus. And then this text um, and so, but I think we know that all of those other texts that I mentioned, creation and the exodus, Jesus is coming, of course, are like, those are the high points of God's work in salvation. Those are texts that get a lot of attention. And this one, unfortunately, isn't seen as that, but it is. This is one of those texts in the Bible that is such a massive fulfillment of the promise of God um, that we need to pay really close attention to it. In fact, how many of you like the book of Romans? The book of Romans takes three chapters, 9 to 11, to apply what's going on in this text. The entire book of Galatians is about this text. The promise to Eve to have a son who would crush the serpent's head and would bring salvation, blessings, creation-wide is this text. The promise to Abraham that he would have a son through whom all nations would receive salvation, blessings is occurring in this text. If you're reading the Bible reading program, this past week you read Isaiah 65 where it said, I will, I will give salvation to those who aren't seeking me. 
He's talking about the Gentile nations. That's this text. The book of Ephesians mentions in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 the mystery of salvation. And that mystery isn't Christ's coming. That mystery that Paul mentions throughout Ephesians is the mystery that now the Gentiles get salvation too. And you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to become Jewish to get it. It's just by faith. The book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, are about this text. (laughs) So this text, why can you eat bacon? Because of this text. (laughs) Amen? So pay attention is my point. Like, give your attention to this text because it is fundamental to what we understand about salvation and the church and where things are going in the future. Let, let me do one more thing by way of introduction. Turn over, if you would, to Romans chapter 11. <clears throat> Romans chapter, chapters 9, 10, 11 are all about this issue of how, how are we to think about God's grace coming to the Gentiles and Israel? Because it looks like Israel has been cut off. And now all of Gentiles are coming in and Christians are asking, what do we think about that? Is God's word not true? That's the main question Paul's answering in this chapter is because it seems like there's a lot of promises to Israel and now it's all Gentiles. So can we trust God's promises? Can we trust God's word? And if you look at uh, 1125, the heading above it is the mystery of Israel's salvation. Paul is expounding the eternal plan of how God intended to save his people, how God intends to save the world. And, he, and he's saying God's plan has always been to bring salvation from the Jews, to bring his son, his savior through the Jewish people. But there become a time when God would harden his people, that Israel would stumble over Christ. They would reject Jesus as Messiah. And the Gentiles would come in. And Paul is just sitting back pondering these mysteries. And how does he end chapter 11? After pondering the mystery of God bringing salvation through the Israel, through the Jews, to all nations... How does he end? Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable the ways. Who has known his mind, who has been his counselor, who has given a gift and they might be prayed. For through him and to him and, and from him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So after pondering how God brought salvation to the Gentiles, it just breaks out in praise through Paul. That's what's going on in our text. God receiving great praise and glory for bringing salvation, not just to one people, but to all peoples. Who are you descendants of? What's your ancestry, most of you? You all look the same. (laughs) Why? Because we're all descendant from... Northern European, 
Goths and Visigoths and Franks and Anglos and Saxons, pretty much. How come, how did salvation get to them? How can they be included? How can we be included because of this text? It's a wonder. So let me read. I'm going to read Acts 11, 1 to 18. Acts 11, 1 to 18 is Paul recounting for critics what happened in Acts 10. And so we're going to be preaching through the second half of Acts 9, Acts 10, and the first 18 verses of Acts 11 because Acts 11, 1 to 18 are just recounting what happened in Acts 10. So Acts 11, 1 to 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea. Can I pause there real quick? You remember in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here we are in the second of those. The apostles have left Jerusalem and are scattering throughout all of Judea, especially the coastline of the Mediterranean. And so now they've gone out and preached the gospel and now they've come back. The brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, that's what we'll see in Acts 10, also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that is a group of Christians who are Jewish who thought the only way to become Christian was first to become Jewish. You need to become circumcised. You need to obey the cleanliness and dietary and all the laws of Israel in order to become a Christian. And they're upset that Gentiles had become baptized without being circumcised. The circumcision party criticized him, Peter, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa. Joppa is like northwest of Jerusalem, 30 miles just off the Mediterranean coast. Praying and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from the heaven by its four corners and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. Now Caesarea is up the coast. It's like a uh, 30-hour walk. No, no, maybe not that many. It, it's just quite a walk from Jerusalem. And Caesarea this time was the Roman provincial capital. And so it was a very important place. <clears throat> and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Right? They're Gentiles. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. 
And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. This is a Gentile household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to me, John, baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. Father, help us to love your testimonies, to seek them with all of our heart, and to walk in your ways. God, oh, that our ways may be steadfast in keeping your word, that we might not be put to shame. May we praise you and receive your word now with upright hearts. In Christ's name, amen. All right. We have a bit of ground to cover here, but I think you understand what's going on. The first nine chapters, eight and a half chapters, all deal with the gospel going throughout Jerusalem, basically. Until you get to chapter nine. So the first eight chapters are all the apostles preaching and staying around the area of Jerusalem and many Jewish people repenting and coming to faith in Jesus. We see Peter and the apostles preaching the gospel and the way that those Jews enter the church, enter Christianity is only by faith. And then as a sign of their faith, they're baptized. In uh, chapter 8, verse 26, we see Philip. Philip, one of those Jewish Christians, one of the deacons, going um, west of Jerusalem, out into Judea, And if you remember, God told him to uh, go down to Gaza, and there he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that? And this Ethiopian eunuch believed the gospel, reading Isaiah. He comes to Christ. He's baptized. And then at the end of chapter 8, verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord whisks Philip away, and Philip finds himself at Azotus, and as he, pre- as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So a little geography here. Jerusalem's kind of southern Israel. Directly west, 20 or 30 miles is the Mediterranean. And if you go north there are a bunch of towns along the coastline. That's where Philip was preaching the gospel. And now in chapter 9... Verse 32, Peter is coming behind Philip and ministering and preaching the gospel in those same towns to continue to build up the church. And we see two remarkable instances of Peter's ministry. First, you have this man in chapter 9, verse 32 to 35, Aeneas, 
who has been paralyzed for eight years. Peter heals him. And that's important, but the most important part is verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. So again, this is that area along the coastline, those towns, that the the gospel is spreading throughout all of Judea. Again, in verses 36 to 43, we see a woman named Tabitha. Or in uh, another language, Dorcas. She, She was a godly woman, Christian woman, and she died. Peter sends everybody out of her room, and she by God's grace, is raised from the dead. Again, that's awesome, but that's not the the point. The point is, verse 42, and it became known throughout all of Joppa, again, these towns along the Mediterranean, and many believed in the Lord. This is just giving you a snapshot of what's going on with the apostles now. They're spreading out through Judea, God is continuing to work through them miracles. And the point of the miracles is to lend credibility to the gospel so that when they're preaching the gospel, many are coming to the Lord. And so we end in verse 43, chapter 9, with Peter and Joppa. Listen, though, there's this little detail. Who's he staying with? A guy named Simon, and he gives us his vocation. Why does he do that? He's a tanner. He takes animal skins and prepares them, tans them so that they can be useful in uh, making garments. Now, that's important because it's giving you a little hint about what's to come. Tanners were thought to be unclean in Israel. Unclean because they dealt with dead animals. And sometimes dead animals that were themselves unclean. So Simon would have been a guy that godly little Jewish boys avoid. You especially don't stay in his house. And so there's this little hint that God is doing something, about to do something really big. Now while Peter is staying there, just up the coast in Caesarea, we see in chapter 10 is a guy named Cornelius. He's a, and we get some info about him. He's a centurion of the Italian cohort. So he's in Caesarea, again, the most prominent, the capital of all of Judea. And he's part of the Italian cohort. Now, in the U.S. military, we have the different branches of service, the Navy, the Marines, the Army, the Air Force. And then within them, we have, like, elite military men. Right? Uh, not coming to my head right now. but Yeah, SEALs. There you go. The Italian cohort was like that. They were the elite. They were, the, they, they were from the motherland, Italy, but they were the elite of the elites. This guy was elite, and he was the captain of them. But he had become kind of partially converted to Judaism. We note that he's a devout man. He fears God with all of his household. He's a, he's a good father. He's generous to the Jewish people and he prays continually to God. But he's not circumcised. He didn't make the full conversion. He, he's not circumcised. He probably doesn't obey the Jewish dietary laws and cleanliness code. But 
he's in a sense kind of rejected his paganism, the worship of the Roman gods and the worship of Caesar, and he's come to worship the one true living God, but kind of not all the way. But he's a, he's a man highly thought of. Now, for that to be remarkable is important because the Jews really didn't like the Romans, and they especially didn't like the Roman soldiers. This guy was highly thought of. Anyways, he has a vision from an angel that tells him to send to the city of Joppa and bring Peter, because Peter is lodging, lodging with Simon the Tanner. So this is a miracle. And Cornelius is obedient to this, and he sends we note two servants and one soldier to go to Joppa and to bring Peter. So as I said, this is quite a, a walk. And so it took him two days to get to Joppa from Caesarea. I guess it's 30 miles. The next day, following Cornelius' vision, at lunchtime, Peter was up on the roof praying. Jews usually kept a, a specific schedule of prayer, morning, lunch, and evening at the afternoon or lunchtime, prayer time. He's up on the roof playing. He's hungry. He asks him to get some food. And God brings him into a trance. And he sees a sheet descend filled with all kinds of animals, animals that were clean according to the Jewish dietary laws and animals that were unclean according to the Jewish dietary laws. And God tells Peter, kill and eat. Kill and eat. And Peter says, no, by no means, Lord, verse 14. I, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. God tells him, no, God has made all things clean. Do not call them common. Th this is the verse to highlight in all of this. This is, this is what changes everything. God in Genesis 1 and 2 made all things good including people. It's really not going to be about the animals, although that's important. It's about the people. God does this three times to Peter. Why three? Well, why do you tell your kid things repeatedly? <laughs> Drive them home. And then to let Peter know that this is coming true now. At the end of the vision, Peter wakes up. The men from uh, Caesarea sent by Cornelius arrive. Peter is told, go down and, and go with them without hesitation. Because it's wrong for Jews to associate with Gentiles in this way. But God tells Peter, have, have no compunction of conscience. Just no hesitation, go right with them. And Peter does. Upon arriving, Cornelius had gathered... Uh, other family and maybe friends, guests. And when Peter comes, again, probably a two-day walk, Cornelius falls at Peter's feet. Peter says, in humility, I'm not a god. Stand up. I'm just a man. And Peter says, uh, you know, God told me to come here. W what's going on? And, and Cornelius relates what God told him in verses 31, 32, and 33. And Peter, in verses 34 to the end of the chapter, preaches the gospel. And the gospel is just simply, Jesus came, Jesus died, and Jesus rose. 
And, and, and notice in verse 44, before, you know, Peter's a preacher. He wanted to say more than what he said, but he's cut off because obviously the people who have heard have believed. In verse 44, in the middle of Peter's sermon, the Holy Spirit comes on them just like it did the apostles at the beginning of the Acts. The Holy Spirit comes on them. It doesn't say whether or not there was tongues of fires, but they begin speaking in other human languages that they didn't know. So the same sign was given to these Gentiles upon the preaching of the gospel that was given to the Jews. And so Peter says, let's baptize them. (laughs) They're Christians. God has set the mark upon the Gentiles, same as he did the Jews. So Peter's vision is making sense to him now, isn't it? And so the sign given to Christians to signify us as Christians, baptism, is given to uncircumcised, non-Jewish Gentiles as it was given to circumcised, dietary law-obeying Jews. And so circumcision's done. Jewish dietary laws, done. Ceremonial Old Testament laws, done. Sacrificial temple laws, done. God is communicating to everybody, salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Jew or Gentile, male or female, free or slave, fat or thin, it doesn't matter. If you have faith in Jesus, Baptize them. And so all nations are now included in the people of God, just like that. All of the promises in the old covenant that God would not be only the savior of the Jews, but all nations, has just happened. I don't know if you can get your mind around the shock that this would be. I I think the only way to think about it is, let's say you went down to Alabama or South Carolina to a a really rural area where you still have a lot of the old animosities rolling. And you have the black people who live over here and the white people live over here and you're white and you wear around your neck a noose and you walk into the black community with that around your neck. What would they think of you? Or maybe you take a a rebel confederate flag and wear it like a cloak and walk into the black community in in rural South Carolina, in the deep south. What would they think of you? Right? Or if you wore a, a shirt with Auschwitz on it and walked into the Jewish neighborhoods in New York, What would they think of you? Peter baptizing uncircumcised Gentiles was seen like that. It was that shocking. It was that abhorrent. It was that wrong. And so when Peter comes back to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticizes him. What are you doing? You're unclean now, Peter. 
You ate and dwelt with uncircumcised men. It may be one thing if these Gentiles were circumcised and ritually cleansed, and then maybe, but you just went right into them. You stayed with them many days. You ate with them. You baptized them. What are you doing? And Peter explains it to him. And so the last word on this in 10.18, or 10.17-18, is that God now makes no distinction. There's nothing that gives you a, a greater access to God's kingdom. There's nothing that keeps you further from God's kingdom. All human distinctions, as far as salvation, are gone. Ethnicity, sex, by sex here I don't mean your sexual choice, I mean male or female. Isn't it sad that I have to explain that? It doesn't matter your economic status. There is one way to eternal life. There is one way to forgiveness of sins. There is one way to enter in the kingdom of God. And it's to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay. I, got, I have to bring this home in a few ways to you. I got to help you f- see what this means in a sense to you. First, I've already said the main thing. And, and the main thing is this. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. A lot of the New Testament is spent simply explaining that to churches that were fighting over that. Especially fighting over, no, you need to be circumcised before you can be a believer. Or no, you can only eat these foods or you're not a good believer. And so one, one thing we have to say is these human distinctions still matter. We want to honor the distinction that we treat men and women differently. God doesn't remove all of those distinctions. That's a fallacy some make. When, when we read in Galatians 3.13 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, or slave nor free, he's not removing ethnic differences. He's not flattening there's no difference between male and female. He's not removing distinctions between slave and free. He's simply saying that as far as coming to faith in Jesus... Being Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, does not give you greater or lesser access. Everybody needs the same Savior, and they all come in the same way through faith. And that's the, that's the main thing here. This is what Protestants were protesting in the 15 and 1600s. The Catholics had gone back to a form of circumcision party Judaism. That you can only be a Christian if you do these Roman Catholic things. And if you don't do these Roman Catholic things plus faith, you're not a Christian. If you don't do faith plus purchasing the merit of the saints, you're not a Christian. If you don't do Jesus plus praying to Mary, you're not a Christian. So the, re- the reformers were protesting a return to what God had freed us from. It's by faith alone and Christ alone. 
Now, we, we continue to struggle with this. This hasn't evaporated. What do we add to faith in Christ in order to qualify as being a good Christian? What do we add? Well, it's faith in Jesus plus not having your kids in the public school. But I, 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 am, I am of the mind that no Christian should be in the public schools anymore. But being in the public school does not give you greater access to the kingdom of God or not being in it. Or, or maybe it's faith plus certain spiritual giftings. Or maybe it's faith plus alignment with the right political party in the exact right political thinking. Or maybe it's Jesus plus and you can't eat that, but you can't eat that. Jesus plus no processed sugar. Because <laughs> some of you talk a lot more about processed sugar than you do about Jesus. Isn't that true? So we're constantly tempted to add things to Jesus. And what's happening here? is God's declarative statement of fulfilling all of the promises previously made that there is only one way to heaven. It's faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. In fact, what we see here, when, when Peter says in 1028, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone in another nation. Listen, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. This is the foundation for all human worth and dignity. The further our culture and the culture of the West has moved away from God creating us in his image, that redemption is only through faith in Jesus, the more we divide based on human distinctions the more we call certain kinds of people common and unclean and, and so we can treat them worse. Babies, unborn in the womb. They're not real people yet. A woman can do whatever she wants with her body. The thing inside of her is not worthy yet of life. Destroy it. It doesn't matter. Democrats. CNN watchers. Common, unclean. I can talk about them any way that I'd like with my other Republican Fox-watching friends. And I will never, ever invite them over to my house for a meal. You treat them the same way that the Jews treated the Gentiles because they are common and unclean in your heart. The reason wherever Christianity flourished, slavery ended, was because of chapter 10, verse 28. You know that, right? The Christian West was the only place ever in human history that ended slavery. And do you know why they did? Because of Acts chapter 10, verse 28. That's it. Do you know why wherever Christians went, women were elevated to equality in society? 
You know that the pagans in India, when the husband died, would bound the woman and put her on top of the husband's burial pyre and burn her alive with him? Do you know who ended that? Christians. Why? Because women are created in the image of God, are not common nor unclean, and are worthy of dignity. The gospel alone provides the foundation for human dignity and worth and ends all division and distinctions. And we continue to look at others as unclean or common. Now, if I was preaching in the UCC church, I would say just about everything I said opposite. Because <laughs> they don't like Republicans and they think killing babies is okay. But you're the opposite, so that's why I apply it that way to you. So that's the main thing here. Can I get, let me give you a few other things here. This next one will be more fun. All food is able to be eaten. Woohoo! Now, I know eating healthy is wise. A donut a day does not keep the doctor away. But God has created all things good, and He has given all things to you to be received with thankfulness. And no one should ever have a matter of conscience with eating or drinking anything except that which is explicitly permitted or forbidden, things that get you drunk. Or things that you use to get drunk with. That's why Christians should never smoke marijuana. Because you can't smoke it without getting drunk. That's why you can drink alcohol. But moderately, because if you drink it to excess, you get drunk and then it's forbidden. Because God made grapes and apples. That's why you can eat pork, shellfish, crab. So all foods are clean without falling into the sin of gluttony and lack of self-control. So that's one thing that's come out of this. Another thing, we have this issue of tongues and baptism here. Real quick. Look at uh, chapter 10, verses 46 to 48. Uh, uh, just very, very quickly. Speaking in tongues is a biblical reality. I do not think, though there is some debate, that these tongues are angelic, non-human languages. It looks like every time we see tongues in the Bible, they are human languages spoken by people who had not previously been able to speak them. Could they be angelic languages? If you take 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says you could speak in the tongues of angels, it looks like he's being hyperbolic and making a point, that, but you don't have love you're, you're a, clung, a clanging gong. You're, you're, you're just a noise. I, we don't see anywhere in the Bible where we have languages that are non-human in tongues. Maybe. Now, the purpose here of speaking in tongues was to make very plain to the Jewish Christians that the Gentiles are also included in salvation. That's the purpose. Because otherwise there might have been some lingering doubt. But if God gave the same sign that he did to the apostles in Acts chapter 2 to now uncircumcised Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 
it leaves no doubt to the church and to the world that all are welcome to the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. The purpose of tongues was to communicate very clearly and plainly this truth. So, tongues are rare. Tongues are given as an extra sign. They are not a norm to be required for every question. Could people still speak in tongues? I don't see any reason why not. And so I don't think we should either fall in the line saying tongues are done now and forever, never to be seen. Nor should we ever say that tongues are the norm for every Christian. If you don't speak in tongues, you're really not a Christian or at least not a very good one. And we should have a lot of uh, freedom of conscience within the middle of those two. But what is the ongoing perpetual sign that marks us a Christian in this text? It isn't tongues. What is it? I'm not being rhetorical here. And it's okay to be wrong. No. The sign I'm talking about. Baptism. Now, we only baptize those who have come to faith. But baptism is the external visible sign of the internal spiritual faith. Correct? And so the norm is for every Christian who comes to faith in Jesus to then be baptized. So faith, the sign in the old covenant of inclusion in the people of God was circumcision. The sign in the new covenant of being included in the people of God, a person of faith in Jesus Christ is baptism. Not tongues. Though tongues could still be a gift that God gives. It won't ever be the norm for every Christian to speak in tongue. It is the norm for every Christian to be baptized because Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One last thing. There has been some discussion recently at Pine Grove uh, about salvation and God's sovereignty and human free will. How many of you have heard that debate? Well, maybe you haven't heard about Pine Grove, but you've heard that debate, right? <laughs> I'm going to solve it for you. I'm just kidding. Do you see God completely sovereign in these verses? What does the last line of chapter 11, verse 18 say? In very understandable plain language. God has granted repentance. You know what it says in the Greek? God has granted repentance. <laughs> God is sovereign in salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It has been the eternal plan of God to bring all nations to saving faith in Jesus. And he is fulfilling it here. Look at how he does Cornelius. Can you not give glory to God for his complete and utter grace and control over bringing Cornelius into his kingdom? Isn't that amazing? Can we not? That's what they do at the end here. They glorify God for his sovereign grace and salvation. Is God sovereign in salvation? You can't but see it in these. I mean, you really have to be stubborn against it to not see it in these verses. And 
is Cornelius, as an act of his will, responsible to repent and believe the gospel? Absolutely. Is, in, in, in some mysterious way, we don't have time to get this, is he free to reject or, or uh, confess faith? True. Problem solved, right? God is utterly and completely sovereign, and you are completely responsible as a matter of your will to repent and believe the gospel or to redact and suffer away from the presence of the Lord. Both are true in Scripture. Both. And so we should give God all the glory for our salvation because Jesus saves. We sang it. He will hold me fast. My love would grow cold. I would turn. He will hold me fast. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God won't let it go. Give him glory for your salvation. And, and, the offer of the gospel should be made without distinction, without hesitancy, without qualification to every kind of person everywhere. And all who will should come. And you will be held accountable for your choice. If you truly accept Jesus Christ and you love him, you will be, you will receive entrance into his eternal kingdom. And if you reject him, you will suffer condemnation apart from him in hell based on your choice. And God gets all the glory for it. Isn't that wonderful? So we have these twin truths the sovereign power of God in our salvation so that he gets all the glory and the human responsibility to choose. I don't know how they all work together. I don't get that. But both are true. And we ought never to deny one or the other and especially we ought ever to deny the, the greatness of the grace of God. That's what they glorify God for here at the end, don't they? Can you glorify God for his sovereign grace in saving you? Can you sit back and go, but by the grace of God, I am bound for hell? And can you give him all the glory, reserving none for yourself or anybody else, that God saved, is saving, and will save me? And can you feel the unbelievable privilege that you don't deserve of being welcomed by God into his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ? Isn't that magnificent? That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not. I have a lot more, actually. I got two more, three more pages, but I've stretched you enough. And I do care about you and don't want you to not come back next Sunday. All right, let's uh, pray. Father, we praise you that the repentance you grant leads to life. Life with you. Life with you who is love. Life with you who is so far above us, unlike us, holy, that you will keep us eternally in awe 
in silence before you who is so amazingly powerful and great and everything. So we praise you that you would allow us who have sinned against you repeatedly to have life with you through faith in your son. We give you glory for it. God, help us because of this text to love others better, to see others more rightly created in your image, needing the same faith and the same son and the same baptism unto you, the same Lord. And so we, may we never treat others as less than ourselves or as less than our tribe. Forgive us for all of our prejudices, for all of our lingering thinking we are better and, and our ethnicity is better and our education level is better and our socioeconomic status is better and help us to view others uh, as we see here. Nobody common and unclean and so treat each other better. And mostly, God, give us a heart for those who are apart from you. And may you give us opportunity and love and words to proclaim this gospel which alone can save because you, God, bring many through it. And so, God, please use us. But mostly, God, help us to glory in you, our God of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. That last, those last three lines are the point of it all. That we live by faith for a bit here, and then one day we'll see face to face. And, and you have no idea, you cannot comprehend of the pleasure and joy that you will experience for all eternity because of what Christ did. So those of you who have yet to turn from your sin and turn towards Christ, I urge you to repent and believe in this gospel. It is the only way to God. So the charge is this. God has created all of mankind in his image. And since all without distinction, must come to him only through repentance and faith in Christ. There should be no prejudices among us, neither male nor female, neither Caucasian nor Native American, right? neither your poor hourly wager or your salaried bigwig, right? neither Somebody who's been here for 20 years or somebody who's been here for 20 minutes. So do you have any prejudices against those who are different than you? If so, then the charge is to repent of them. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, without distinction, with all of our distinctions, together, you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another in all of our differences as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And amen. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.